Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. It is a joy to be with you this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kristen Wright. I've been at DCC for 12 years, and I'm full of gratitude to call DCC home. Um, Afterwards, come up, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you, or if you'd like prayer afterwards, um, I'll be up front. Um, Some of you know me as an elder I'm also a ministry partner with Project Renew, and I'm excited to teach again this summer. Um, Thank you for your generosity uh, that allows me to shape this generation of college students. I serve as the Associate Regional Director in the Rocky Mountain region with InterVarsity, and in this role, I get to lead college students and intern staff and state directors. Um, I'm going to introduce you to 18-year-old Kristen, which none of you know, and so you, there may be some, pri- some surprises, so here's a heads up. But before I do that, um, what do you remember about maybe your college experience or that season of life when you were 18? Um, my first day attending college ministry was an absolute epic failure. So it's the first week of college, and I had been invited by a few new friends uh, in my dorm room to come to this gathering. And there were about 80-ish college students in this room. College students were leading the worship, uh, the vocals, and the instruments. And my roommate Susie and I, we sat in the back row. So here's the disclaimer. Um, Let's say that I either lapsed in judgment or my character hit a low point this particular day and we found something funny. Um, Could have been the tambourine or the vocalist was off key, but whatever we thought was funny, that is not the memorable part of this story. Uh, My sense of amusement went up along with my friend Susie. Uh, My self-awareness went down And we all know that declining self-awareness never produces good results. Uh, What's memorable is that the worship team decided to stop the song. Um, I grew up at church, and I had never seen this before. In fact, I have never seen it since this time. Um, And nothing, nothing in my church youth group experience prepared me for what was next. 
my friend and I, prepare yourself, were publicly chastised for our inappropriateness from the front. And whether our behavior warranted this or not, also less relevant, I remember my 18-year-old self not necessarily taking responsibility for the moment, and I turned to my roommate and under my breath, uh, whispered, welcome to InterVarsity. I'm joking about the hospitable nature of this particular moment. Um, another window into my 18-year-old self is that I went back. Um, apparently, public shaming was not a deterrent. Um, and while I was a Jesus follower, the reality is that I needed men and women to help me grow in my faith and my character. Um, for example, um, no one had been willing to name places of pride in my life, in my character, and I had a tendency to be argumentative, and I was the person that would walk up to the speaker afterwards and tell them why and how at least I thought they were wrong. So um, anyone now that's ever taught lead worship or others, I've either made you laugh or cringe or you're just remembering your own younger version of yourself, maybe not on your brightest day. But also, as I compassionately think about my 18-year-old self, I showed up at college not knowing that women could teach the Bible. No one had ever called out my leadership gifts. And the reality is that my journey was just beginning. And Jesus used college ministry to change my life. Uh, I am full of gratitude for those that walked with and alongside of me. And yes, the irony is that after epic failure on my first day, I've been leading for over two decades in the ministry of InterVarsity. And it gives me great joy to wake up each morning to reach a new generation to have good and beautiful and, yes, sometimes difficult conversations to help men and women grow and develop into the spiritual leaders they desire to become. When I think about from students to state directors, when I think of those I lead, I am so proud of them and who they are becoming. Maybe the Apostle Paul says it best in Philippians 1.8, I long for them with all the affection of Christ Jesus. As we uh, begin our time of teaching this morning, let me pray for us. God who intimately knows us, God who moves towards us, God who loves us and heals us, we invite you to speak. We've gathered this morning because you, of you and we confess our need for you. Make our hearts open towards you. And we ask for the grace to become more aware that you are here and that you are eager for us to encounter you this day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, I want to look at the Gospel of John. And we've been in the Gospel of Luke, but we're taking a summer pause and the Greek word for gospel is euangelion, which just means good news. And when the gospel of John is written, Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection have all occurred. So what does the author want us to know now about Jesus? And what about this is good news? 
Repetition is actually an important literary device, and it allows an author to place emphasis on things that are significant. It tells the audience that the words being used are central enough to be repeated. So I want you to hold on to that thought. Um, what's your preferred way to communicate these days? Is it in person? 36% of young people prefer to communicate by text. Um, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's Facebook. This summer, I engaged in an ancient form of communication. Um, some of you might know what this is, and if you're young enough, you may not. So um, I sent postcards to my nephews. Uh, remember those strange four by six cards with pictures on the front of foreign places you're visiting, and the back, it's got that small box that you can write about 15 words on it. Um, and then you buy these uh, strange stickers that none of us buy anymore. They're called stamps, and you put it on there. And then the hope is that when you mail it, um, it will arrive back to the States before you do. And if you're young enough, and I describe this ancient form of communication, you're like, why wouldn't you just um, send a text with a photograph of the place? And I, I do recognize, and I have personally owned, that it is an ancient form of communication. But I thought if I didn't engage my nephews, who are 14 and 7, in this practice, no one ever would. So I wanted them at least um, to be able to say, oh, a postcard, I know what that is. Um, but when something is sent, it's on the move. And these postcards, they moved from where I was in Spain to Maryland. And our summer series this summer is called On the Move. I actually think that John's gospel could have been called God on the Move. The author uses this literary device of repetition and tells us 40 times that Jesus is sent. So when you ask yourself the question, who is Jesus?, one of the things that you're able to answer is that Jesus is the sent one. Kostenberger and O'Brien uh, say it this way. Jesus moves towards us. Jesus is the one who comes into the world, accomplishes work, and returns to the Father. He is the one who descended from heaven and ascends again. He is the sent one, who in complete dependence and perfect obedience to his sender, fulfills the purpose for which the Father sent him. Jesus, as the sent one, is on the move. And Eugene Peterson in the, in the message translates John 1.14 this way. God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. When God moved in, God was fully present. He was not a tourist. He was not a commuter. Jesus not only was sent to a neighborhood, he fully received from the neighborhood. He was shaped and formed by parents, friends, a people, a culture, a history, a geographical location, a time and a place as he dwelled among us. The reality is that God is spirit. So as God puts on flesh and moves among us, we can now hear the embodied heart and character of God. When we look at Jesus, we see God. Jesus says it this way. 
Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. And so we see in the Gospel of, God, of John that Jesus is God on the move. The Gospel also reveals not only that Jesus is the sent one, John also reveals that the Holy Spirit is the sent one. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John is on the move. And did you notice what Jesus says? Jesus says, we will come and make our home with them. Leslie Newbegin in his commentary, The Light Has Come, tells us that the divine indwelling is now understood as the indwelling of the Father and the Son through the indwelling of the Spirit. And as I reflect on who I was in college and who I am today, I recognize that God dwelling in a neighborhood and God taking up residence in my life has changed me. The movement of the Holy Spirit, God moving towards us, through us, God taking up residence, there's a change to my inner world. The Spirit brings us love and joy, peace, kindness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so we see that as the movement of God, the movement of the Son, the movement of the Spirit comes into our world, into our neighborhoods, takes up residence in our own lives, that life is no longer the the same. If we go all the way to the end of John's gospel, Jesus appears to his followers after his resurrection, and he showed them the scars in his hand and, and the side of his body that was pierced. And as Jesus told his disciples, he also tells us. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me I am sending you. This progression in John's gospel, God on the move, Jesus is sent, the Spirit is sent, and the final progression at the end of John's gospel is that we too are sent. To follow in the way of Jesus is to be a sent one. And I think our sending is actually universal as a Jesus follower, but where we're actually sent looks different for each of us. And so the question this morning, could, you could ask yourself, where is it that I find myself sent? Some of us, even now, are sent downstairs to be a healing presence among our kids' ministry. And some of you may know that there's a future opportunity to come up to participate in clean water initiatives in El Salvador. There are many unique places where we are sent. 
Maybe some are sent as teachers, principals, or professors. After college, I briefly taught in the inner city in Phoenix, and one of the things I remember about that season is that Jen and I, as new teachers, we would meet before class, and we would pray for the kids in our classroom, and we recognized that we might be the only, kid, only people in these kids' lives that were praying for them by name each day. And we asked that God would empower us and fill us so that we could love these kids and these families as we went to difficult and challenging circumstances to be a healing presence. Our sense of sentness is universal, but the location to which we are sent is different. Jesus is the sent one, and he sends us. Jesus is the sent one, and he moves towards us. And this morning, I want us to also consider the idea of how does God move towards us? Not only does God move towards us, but how does God move towards us? Jesus doesn't come as a mere acquaintance. Jesus didn't come as a celebrity so that he could only be known by following him on social media. The Gospel of John actually tells us how Jesus was sent to us. Jesus chooses this. Jesus chooses to come as friend. And as he sits around a table having a meal with his followers, knowing he has and he will give them the fullness of his life, these are the words he speaks. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have, been, I have made known to you. I call you friend. I think we have an interesting relationship with that notion of friend. Sometimes it feels rather distorted. Um, for those of you that are older, you still may be on Facebook, um, and you kind of have this idea of how many friends you have. But what does that actually mean? We certainly, it wouldn't be very attractive if some of the ways that those friends relate with us and each other often ends to be more painful and divisive. And Jesus, as he comes and says, I, I call you friend, he means something entirely different. Something that's rooted in his own intimate relationship with his father. The type of relationship that he has that I would say, it's what our heart fully longs for. When we think about friendship, it's what we desire. This spring, I have uh, been walking with someone. Um, we'll call him Matt. Uh, Matt and I meet on Zoom, and he lives elsewhere in the country. And when I first met Matt, he told me that he was deconstructing his faith. And in his, in his past, Matt had been in full-time ministry, and he had served God for many years, and yet today, he's not really sure what he believes anymore. And he sought me out because he thought having some spiritual direction would be meaningful, and so we've been meeting 
um, each month. And as I was listening to him, all of a sudden, um, he interrupts his own train of thought. And he's like, wait, Kristen, I remember something I haven't told anyone. I've noticed a willingness to pray again. And it's been a really long time. And as I was praying, I had an image of Jesus in the Jordan River. And I was with him. And he was behind me. And he had his hand on my shoulder, and it felt firm. The way that just another friend would let you know that they were there for you. And he said, the water, it felt good under my feet. And we didn't actually speak. There weren't any words spoken in this image. But he said, what I noticed is that I felt relaxed. And I felt like myself. And I asked him, I said, Matt, would you want to revisit that um, image, that time by asking Jesus to draw near um, to see if there might be more that you might receive. And he was open to that. And so I told him, stay with the image as long as you want and then break the silence whenever you're ready. And so he just had this moment where he asked that Jesus would draw near. Maybe a little awkward. It had been a while. Maybe he had at once had meaningful conversation that even happened daily. But as Matt broke the silence, he said, I felt so calm. He said, I just really struggle with feeling seen and known and loved. And yet what I noticed in this image that when I was able to experience Jesus, the feeling of being seen, known, and loved felt fully true. These words, this image was really meaningful for him. And, um, and, And he said, as he was finishing up, he just said, I'm just reminded that Jesus calls me friend. That Jesus calls me friend. And these words, they were life-giving for Matt. Things that maybe he had once known intellectually, maybe even things that he had believed, but they'd become so distant to his past that as he heard Jesus call him friend, it felt like a fresh, new relationship, a fresh, new friendship. And he said... this sense of, as Matt is like in his journey of reconstruction, I can't imagine a better place to begin. Friendship. To feel seen and known and loved. To feel relaxed. And for Matt, it feels like a new start. Some of us, I think, in our relationship with Jesus, maybe friend is not the word we hear. I think some of us are tempted to define our relationship with God by our epic failures. And we believe they define us or they disqualify us, and yet they don't. And some of us are are tempted to define our identity only by what we do for God. 
This had certainly been Matt's struggle. And it becomes poor religion when the only way we relate to God is as a servant, where our, the ways that we relate are only by doing for God. And we are tempted to begin to believe our good works define us. They don't. It's actually friendship. It's actually about what God has done for us, how God moves towards us. In friendship, Jesus fully sees and knows and loves you. Jesus, the sent one, who has come to offer the fullness of his life. As God moves towards us, God says, I move towards you in friendship. And perfect love heals us. It frees us. It empowers us to be sent to be a healing presence. We are sent to love others. It feels really different when we begin to recognize that our sentness becomes a response to extravagant loving friendship, that it isn't a duty or an obligation because we all know the reality that being with a good friend is pure joy. I think we can ask ourselves the question, how can I cultivate friendship with God so it continues to grow and deepen? And DCC on, on the website, there's lots of spiritual practices. You can, they're listed. And what I would encourage you is to consider how a few of them could actually create space to cultivate more friendship with God. I think sometimes the temptation with practices is they become like our to-do list. They're just one more thing to check off. Rather, to look at practices is saying, how could this practice actually help me develop more friendship with God? A practice that I started during the pandemic was centering prayer. And I won't describe the how. If you're interested, I'd suggest Cynthia Bergeau's book, Centering Prayer and the Inner Awakening. And I started it during the pandemic in part because I felt exhausted. Anyone relate from that? Maybe there's still carryover of that sense of just kind of ongoing fatigue and exhaustion. But I was desiring a new spiritual practice to deepen friendship. And so each day for 20 minutes, I just engaged in wordless prayer. And I showed up. But I did show up with intent. My intent was to bring my whole self and to sit in God's gaze of love. And when inevitable uh, distraction would come over and over, I would return by simply calling on the name of Jesus. Elizabeth Dreyer in her book, Earth Crammed with Heaven, writes, in a profound way, our intentionality is the key ingredient determining whether we notice God everywhere or only in church, or only in suffering, or nowhere. It all depends on how we fashion our world. This summer, I had the opportunity to walk the English Camino in Spain, uh, 72 miles over eight days. And part of this practice really was the intention that I wanted to linger with God, that I wanted to cultivate more friendship. And I walked in silence, which I think for many of us, we have a love-hate relationship with. 
We often desire it, but then when we're in the middle of it, we're like, what have we done? Suddenly, solitaire on our phone is looking really, really tempting. And yet, I knew that silence could be the way that I could develop relationship and deeper friendship with Jesus. And so I was unplugged, no music, no podcasts, no audiobooks. And I just lingered as I walked. I might even say I lingered in the gaze of love. And many of you heard me describe the experience when I returned as every cell in my body physically, spiritually, and emotionally felt renewed. It felt like my head descended into my heart. It felt like I felt integrated and whole. And what I will say about this experience is that God moved towards me. Yes, I brought intentionality, but God moved towards me. One day, as I was walking God asked me a question. It's a question that no one had ever asked me. And I had never asked anyone else. And I will say that I appreciate Jesus who calls me friend, asking such a good, thoughtful, evocative question. And so I talked and I listened. And in my own life, Being asked good questions is something good friends do. Ruth Haley Barton says this, one of the most soul-strengthening things that can happen is to know that God is at work and to hear a voice speaking that is not our own. As I walked in God's gaze, I felt seen and known love just as Matt had. And I assure you this morning as you are here that you too are in the gaze of love. If I were to choose an image of the gaze of love, I like this progression from my time on the Camino as the fog rolls in. You can see I got passed by pilgrims and this is one that was passing me, but you can see the progression as the fog descends There's a little fog, more fog, so much fog that the pilgrim disappears. And the reason I like this image is that while we're always in the gaze of love, our awareness of it is different. Sometimes we're a little aware and sometimes more aware, or even at times our awareness overwhelms us as we recognize love's weighty density. Our awareness changes, but God's love does not change. We can ask ourselves the question, like, what type of friend am I? And while the way that we interact with Jesus changes, the loyalty of Jesus towards us is unwavering. Good works don't earn love any more than failure erases it. In fact, when God looks at you, he sees your beauty as an image bearer of God. And God moves towards you. As he moves towards you, his heart is full 
of affection. As he moves toward you, there is deep delight in you. As he moves towards you, he offers friendship. And the question is always, will we receive the love and respond? And for some of us, having an honest talk, owning what's ours, like in any friendship, when we haven't been a good friend, we can ask for forgiveness. I invite you into silence this morning to sit in the gaze of love. And if your mind wanders, consider it an invitation to return. Know that God is always eager to cultivate deeper friendship. Friends, hear these words spoken over you. I call you friend. Those words heal us, they free us. It's God's kindness that leads us to turn around, to respond, to choose to move towards once again, rather than to move away. And as we close this morning, I wanna invite us to pause. If you're willing just to close your eyes as an experience of silent prayer, to become more aware. Notice God's movement towards you, God's presence here with us, in us. Receive, experience, encounter the sent one. Imagine God's love descending like fog like water gently washing over you, like a fragrant scent to breathe in, as an extravagant feast. Allow love to nourish you, to taste and see that God is good. Receive love from the closest of friends who sees, knows, and loves you. After a moment of quiet, I'll close our silent time of prayer. Thank you for moving towards us. Jesus, may this today only begin the beginning of the conversation with you. Amen.